Joshua. Joshua chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you. We want to make sure that everybody has a copy of God's Word and can follow along today. And we'll have most of the verses on the screen as well. A few weeks ago, we started a brand new series of messages that we're calling Built to be Brave. And we're talking about how the Bible instructs us to walk with spiritual courage. And if we are going to stand for truth in this generation, we are going to have to have a spirit of courage. And we're learning principles from the life of Joshua that can help us to that end. And so Joshua chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. And we'll start reading in verse number 1. The Bible says this. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out. And none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, everybody look at your neighbor and say, See, 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 I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus thou shalt do six days. And the seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns and the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times and the priests shall blow with the trumpets and it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn and when you hear the sound of the trumpet all the people shall shout with a great shout let me hear a shout this morning from all the people and the wall of the city shall fall down flat and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. For a few minutes today, I'd like to speak to this subject, walking in circles, walking in circles. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this time that we can focus and concentrate on your word. And Lord, I pray that we would not allow secondary things to distract us today from receiving what you'd have for us. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in this room for the next few minutes and for all those that are watching online. Lord, I pray that your spirit would fill me to give me the words to say that are exactly uh, what would be needed uh, this morning. And Lord, I pray that we can have an understanding of Joshua chapter 6 in this text, and we would be able to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said this morning. How many of you enjoy going on walks? You like walking. Anybody like that? Okay, very good. And, uh, you know, I've learned that there's all different types of walking. Uh, My wife, Katie, tells me constantly whenever we're walking that I walk too fast. And uh, she's always telling me, slow down, slow down. And I I don't know about you, but I like to walk with a purpose. I like to get to my destination. And uh, so I want to, that's right, I'm getting some amens this morning. And I want to walk with a purpose to my destination. Katie, She likes to walk slowly and take her time and just really enjoy the journey, you know, and uh, just kind of take her time. My children right now, I have have three children in elementary school, and uh, none of them really right now walk from point A to point B. What they do is they gritty from point A to point B. How many of you know what the gritty is, right? Uh, The children, they're constantly gritty and all the way through uh, life. That's what they do. And, uh, you know, there's all different types of walking. There's power walking, speed walking. And I learned recently, just this week, in fact, that there's something called Nordic walking. Has anyone ever heard of Nordic walking before? 
maybe if you're in the first service, I brought a picture. This is Nordic walking. It's kind of like skiing, but with no mountain, no snow, and with no skis. But if you have the poles, you can walk. And what advantage those give you, I'm not exactly sure, but if you want to look into it, you can Google it today, and you can be a Nordic walker. You know, the Bible has so much to say about our spiritual walk. In fact, time and time again, the Bible instructs us on how to walk spiritually. Our walk spiritually, of course, is not just uh, what we do, but our walk is how we do what we do. It's the way that we carry ourselves. It's the, the manner in which we live. And the Bible has so much to say about our walk. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And so we are commanded to walk worthy of our calling and the vocation wherewith we were called. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 7 that we are to walk in the light, to not walk in darkness, but rather the light. Uh, the Bible tells us in Galatians 5 that we are commanded to walk in the spirit so that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so we're not uh, called to walk just in our own flesh and how we would like to do things, but we are called to walk in the spirit. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse number 2 commands us to walk in love. That means the way that we carry ourselves and the manner in which we live should be reflective of the love of Jesus, that we are to walk in love. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, uh, that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. And so time and time again, you see that the Bible has instruction for us on how we are to carry ourselves, how we are to walk. But, but here's the question that I want us to consider this morning. Are you with me today? Here's the question that I want us to consider. What do we do? When we feel as though we're walking according to God's ways, but it doesn't seem to be working. Uh, what do we do when we're trying to walk according to scripture, but we're not really seeing the fruit of it yet, and it seems as though we're walking, but we're walking in circles. Uh, we're walking, but it doesn't seem like we're headed in the right direction. What do we do when we're walking, but it doesn't seem to be working? Uh, what do you do when you start to trust God with the tithe, but he hasn't yet opened up the windows of heaven and poured out a blessing upon you. Uh, what do you do when you have trusted God with your relationships and perhaps you've offered an apology and you're trying to make amends, but uh, those, uh, those apologies are not being received in the right light and, and your relationship is still struggling? What do you do when you're walking, but it's not working, when you're trying to go in the right direction, but it seems like uh, you're just walking in circles? And we come to Joshua chapter 6 today, and the children of Israel, they find themselves in this scene, very familiar story, where they are walking in circles. They are walking around the walls of Jericho. And uh, to give us a little bit of context to uh, this passage today, I want us to kind of see uh, where we are in the narrative, starting in verse number 1. And I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready, and uh, we will uh, go through these verses together. But notice verse number 1. It says this, now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And so the city of Jericho that was located just east or just west of the Jordan River was watching uh, the children of Israel as they crossed over the Jordan River. And now they are fearful that the children of Israel are going to attack them. And so verse number one says that they have shut down the city. No one's allowed in. No one is allowed out. Now, uh, the city of Jericho was itself an extremely large city. 
It was a small city that you could walk around in one day. But it was a very strong city. It was a fortress city. In fact, you may have heard about the walls of Jericho. We have a picture this morning. There were two primary walls surrounding the city. Both of these walls would have been about six feet thick. Uh, most scholars and Bible commentators say that these walls would have been up to 15. Uh, some believe up to 40 feet high were these walls. And so it was not a very large city, but it was a very strong city as a fortress city. And the children of Israel knew that if they could defeat Jericho, then they could certainly defeat all the other cities in Canaan that would uh, be to come. And so they're looking at this city, they're seeing the walls, and then it says this in verse number two. And the Lord said unto Joshua, see, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. He says, I want you to see it. Uh, see, I have given you. Notice that it's in past tense. That from a divine perspective, the Lord says, I've already given you the victory. I have already given the city of Jericho into thine hand. It was in the past tense. He says, I want you to know uh, that the victory ultimately has already been won. The, the problem from a human perspective, are you with me? The problem from a human perspective is what we see in verse number two doesn't match with what we see in verse number one. Because in verse number one, we see the big walls of Jericho. And we see that the city is shut up. No one's allowed in or out. The gates are on lockdown. This is a strong fortress city. The problem is big. That's ahead of me. That's what I see. And then in verse number two, God says, hey, see, the victory is already yours. You've already won. And so what do you do in life when what you see does not match with what God said? God says, you already have the victory. And they're thinking, are you looking at the same walls that we're looking at? Uh, have you ever seen one of those optical illusion pictures where you're kind of seeing multiple things in one picture? Uh, I brought one with, with us today. Uh, how many of you see a, a young lady with a choker around her neck? Anybody see that? How many of you see an old lady with a big nose? Anybody see that? How many of you would say, I have no idea what I'm looking at. This is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Okay. We can be looking at the same thing, but perceiving different images. Joshua and the children of Israel are looking at these walls of Jericho, and the Lord says, see, I have given you the victory. And so what do we do when what we see and what we sense doesn't match with what God said? You know, there was a time in the Old Testament when Elisha, uh, the prophet of the Lord, was with his servant, and they were surrounded by the enemy, and his servant was very fearful and very scared because he saw the enemy, and every time he went outside of his tent, he could see that they were surrounded by those horses and chariots, and the enemy looked strong around him. And Elisha, God's prophet, could see something a little bit differently than his servant could see it. And it says this in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse number 17, and Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee. Open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Yes, the enemy had them surrounded, but God's army was surrounding the enemy. Aren't you thankful today that even when you can't see it, and even when you can't sense it, that God is always working, and I want you to know that if God said it, you can trust it. That if God said it, you can believe it. If he said it, you can take it to the bank. And so God tells Joshua, see, I've already given you the victory. By the way, this is encouraging because we know that in our lives there will because we know there will be battles. We know that there will be tension, there will be turmoil, there will be trial, there will be strategy. But we also know that the ultimate war has already been won. That Jesus already defeated sin, death, and the grave. That Jesus says, in the world you shall have tribulation. Yes, there will be turmoil. Yes, there will be difficulty. Yes, being a follower of Jesus in 2023 will not always 
world, you will have tribulation. But Jesus said, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. We are on the winning side. And so, yes, we fight, but we fight from a position of victory and not for a position of victory. And so there will be battles in life. There will be tests. There will be times when we have to uh, rely completely and wholly on the Lord. And I believe that Joshua chapter 6 is a passage for anyone that needs victory in their lives. Today, if you are sitting in the room, maybe you're watching online today, and you need desperately victory, you need victory over temptation, you need victory over your anxiety, you need victory over anger, you need victory in your marriage, you need victory in your parenting. Anyone that is in need of spiritual victory, I believe that Joshua chapter 6 is a powerful passage on spiritual victory. And so what I'd like to do today is I'd like us to look at this passage, and I want to give you four uh, ways or four indications of someone that is walking in spiritual victory. So as we're walking throughout this Christian life, how can we walk in spiritual victory? Well, uh, there's four indications of someone that is walking in spiritual victory. Number one is this. They bow before the battle. Someone that is walking in spiritual victory bows before the battle. Now, to fully appreciate chapter 6, we have to understand what took place in chapter 5. And so I want to encourage you to look at chapter 5, if you have your Bible open, and notice verse number 13. The Bible says this, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with the sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us? or for our adversaries. And so Joshua, as a good military leader, he sees this person coming with drawn sword, and he says, hold on, who goes there? Are you for us, or are you against us? And then in verse number 14, it says this, and he said, nay. By the way, don't try to put God in a box. He said, nay, uh, but as a captain of the host of the Lord am I come. And Joshua uh, fell on his uh, face to the earth and did worship. And he said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. And so who is this individual that shows up with a sword drawn before Joshua? Well, what's really interesting and cool about this passage is that most scholars tell us that this is what is called a theophany, or more specifically, a Christophany. This is an Old Testament appearance of the New Testament Jesus. Jesus shows up to Joshua as the captain of the Lord's army. You say, well, how do we know this to be certain? Well, because Joshua, when he sees this person and perceives his presence, what he does is he falls down, he bows down, and he worships. If he was not worshiping the one true God, then he would have been guilty of idolatry. And so he is worshiping, and this individual receives that worship. And so God shows up to Joshua, and he gives him this private visit before the battle. And here's what I believe, that if you want spiritual victory from the Lord, you need to have a private visit with the Lord. That if you want to experience spiritual victory in your life, you have to learn to bow before the battle. You have to learn to encounter the presence of God. So many people are struggling in the fight. So many people are tempted to quit because they have not yet learned how to encounter God's presence and spend time with him on a daily basis. Uh, George Mueller, he started an orphanage that uh, throughout his ministry, uh, he oversaw over 10,000 children, an extremely busy person that did much for the Lord. And this is what he said. The soul which has tasted of the love of Christ 
cannot then bear to be without him. But in all its daily employments, its heart is still drawn out towards him. It desires much to be alone with him and yet more to hold continual communion. This was someone that was very busy in life and in the ministry, but he learned to bow before the battle. He said, nothing is more important to me than spending time with Jesus, than spending alone time with my Savior. A few years ago, I went to a boxing uh, fight in Las Vegas. Uh, my brother-in-law uh, gave me tickets to go see Manny Pacquiao uh, fight. How many of you have ever heard of Manny Pacquiao? He's a boxer. And one thing that's very interesting about Manny Pacquiao is he's a Christian. And before every fight, Manny Pacquiao always does the same thing. He goes to his corner and he, he gets on his knees and he prays. And I have a picture of that this morning uh, of Manny Pacquiao as he's, as he's bowing before the battle. And every time I look at that image, I think that is a picture, it's a portrait of what we should be doing in our Christian lives, in our battle. That before he was going to war, he was going to go to worship. That before he was going to go to battle, that he was going to bow. And I believe that uh, we might not be boxing today, but we are parenting and we are going to our workplaces and we are trying to uh, have families that honor the Lord and have lives that honor the Lord. And if we are going to experience spiritual victory, we have to bow before the battle. Joshua has this private visit with the Lord, and that led him to success. And this leads us to our second thought today. Number two is this. The second characteristic of someone who walks in victory is this. They do God's will God's way. They do God's will, but they do it God's way. Notice verse number three. The Bible says this. And you shall compass the city all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Now, that instruction would not have been odd, okay? If you were going to attack a city, it would not be odd to circle the city one time for reconnaissance purposes, for intimidation purposes. That would not be a strange instruction to receive. Go and circle the city one time. What was strange was the end of verse number three, when it says this, thus shalt thou do six days. That would have been a strange thing to hear, a strange instruction to hear, that we're going to walk around the city six times? Like, what do we need to do that for? Notice the next verse, verse number four. And the seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns, and the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people would shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. This was the plan. This was the instruction that God gave to Joshua of how they were going to defeat this fortress city of Jericho. Now, if you grew up in church, and if you've heard this story before, those instructions are familiar to you. We are familiar with this story. If you grew up in church, you probably saw this. Maybe if you were young on a flannel graph, how many of you remember what a flannel graph was, right? You saw that on the little board, the flannel graph. Maybe if your church was more wealthy, you had an overhead projector and you could see that image on, a, on, on the wall, right? And you could see the walls of Jericho and you are familiar with this story. But if you revisit these words with a fresh perspective, we have to agree and conclude that those are strange plans. We have to admit and acknowledge that that's pretty weird. How are you going to defeat this fortress city, you're going to walk around it six times. But on the seventh day, seven times. That's the plan. Can you imagine Joshua's military leaders and advisors trying to meet in their military tent and they're coming up with a plan and a strategy before Joshua comes in? I can imagine just using your imagination for a second this morning. I can imagine they're in their tent and they're thinking, all right, here's what we're going to do. And one guy speaks up and he says, we're going to build ramps. 
And we're going to build ramps up the first wall, and we're going to try to go over those walls and penetrate the city from above, and that's how we're going to do it. And another guy says, no, that's a bad idea. Let's try to build tunnels. Let's dig tunnels beneath the walls, and we'll pop up and surprise them, and that's how we'll take uh, over Jericho. And another guy says, well, maybe we should just uh, wait them out. Let's play the long game. Let's make sure that no one leaves and no one comes in, and eventually they'll starve, and, and we'll get the victory that way. And then Joshua comes into the tent, and he says, all right, here's the plan. Listen up. We're going to walk around the city. And they're like, all right, what's next? That's it. <laughs> I imagine one of the guys like nudges, like maybe we should tell him about the tunnels. Maybe we should just kind of slip that in. Can you imagine? This would have been a strange thing to hear. We're going to walk around the city six times. And then the walls are going to fall flat. They're going to come tumbling down. You know, this is an odd plan. But as you study the scripture, you will quickly realize that God is a fan of weird. Some of you are like, yes, like, I'm so thankful for that. God is a fan of weird. God often will give us an instruction that from a human standpoint seems foolish. God will say things that seem like an upside down way of living, like the first shall be last and the last shall be first. He'll say things like love your enemies. Do good to them that persecute you. He'll say things like, if you want to live a blessed life and you want to receive blessing financially, the pathway to financial blessing is actually radical generosity. You've got to give away to receive. See, God will often do things that might seem strange to us. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And aren't you thankful for that? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Sometimes it doesn't make human sense to give and to sacrificially give when you're looking at your budget. Sometimes it doesn't make human sense to offer an apology to that person that has wronged you for years and for years. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to uh, follow God's instructions, but it's not our job to try to make sense of all of God's instructions. It's our job to submit to God's instructions. And this is what it means to walk by faith. By the way, if it's not weird, then you don't need faith. You ever thought about that? If everything just made perfect sense to you and you had all your ducks in a row and, and you had your schedule aligned and you had your budget aligned and you had your calendar all aligned and everything made perfect sense to you, chances are you're not walking by faith. And so the Bible says in Isaiah 55, verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Now, uh, I want you to see what it says in verse number 6. And Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, called the priests and said unto them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets, ram's horns, before the Ark of the Lord. So here Joshua is giving the instruction to the people. Everybody tracking with me today? So, so, so Joshua's giving the instructions now to the people. And he said unto the people, pass on and compass the city and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priest that blew with the trumpets and the, and the re-reward came after the ark, the, those that were the rear guard, uh, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. Here's what I want you to see. All that to say this. What did the people do? They obeyed. They did God's will, God's way. As weird as it sounded, okay, we're just going to walk around the city. That's how we're going to get spiritual victory. You want us to walk in circles? Okay. And that's what they did. Now, it was easier for them to step out by faith because they had just seen what God had done. 
By the way, the same is true in our lives. It's much easier to take a step of faith when you pause and consider God's faithfulness. They, they considered how God had, had miraculously allowed them to cross the Red Sea and the Jordan River. And so now when they received this instruction, they said, okay, we'll take a step of faith. And they did God's will, God's way. They submitted. You, you know what honors God the most in your life? It's not a profession of faith. What honors God most in your life is not a spirit of sacrifice. What honors God the most is not bringing your talent before him. What honors God the most with your life is a spirit of obedience. When you say, I'm willing to do what God wants me to do, and I'm going to submit to God's plan and do God's will God's way. 1 Samuel 15, 22 puts it this way. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken unto the fat of the rams. So, so often in life, we are worried about the outcome. We are worried about the results and what might happen. But we ought to be less worried and less concerned with the outcome and more focused on obedience. And here's why. Outcome is up to God. Obedience is up to us. And so if we focus on doing what God wants us to do, then we can walk by faith and trust that the outcome will be what God wants it to be. Now, this leads us to our third thought today. Number three is this. The third characteristic of someone who walks in victory, they thrive in the silence. Are you with me today? All right. That was about four of you. Are you with me today? All right, the story, if you don't know the ending, it gets pretty exciting, okay? So you're going to have to buckle up for a second. Uh, they uh, thrive in the silence. Notice verse number 10. The Bible says this. And Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout, and then shall you shout. And so Joshua says, You're going to walk around the city. You're just going to walk. You're going to walk around the city, and one more instruction you have to be absolutely silent. You cannot say a word. You cannot shout. You cannot pout. You cannot vent. You have to be absolutely silent. Uh, there are times with my three children that when we are driving in the car, they are talking to each other, and they are listening to music, and they are playing games, and they are fighting, and they are bickering. And so there are times when Katie and I say, when we're almost home, and there's five minutes left in the drive, we will say, all right, no more talking. All right, everybody, you have to be quiet for the last few minutes. And I just want you to know, it never works. Uh, typically, typically, my son Luke will make some little noise, and the girls will start laughing, and everybody busts up. And, and uh, so it's never worked. And so if you can pray for us, that's a, that's a battle that we're fighting right now to try to keep things a little bit quiet. Joshua says to the people, as you walk, I want you to walk in absolute silence. Hey, if they mock you up on those big walls, and they start making fun of you on the third day, on the fourth day, silence. Don't respond. If someone makes a mean comment to you on Facebook during this time, don't respond to them. Don't respond back on Twitter. Even if you have a clever snapback that you want to give to them, you're going to have absolute silence. You know, sometimes when you're walking with the Lord and it feels like you're walking in circles, one of the greatest things that you can do spiritually is learn to quiet your own soul. The Bible says this, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Arthur Pink put it this way. He's a, he's a commentator that says this. There are times when to preserve silence is far harder than for us to express 
what is on our minds. Have you found that to be true in your life? Sometimes it's much easier to vent to your neighbor or to uh, tell someone how you really feel. Sometimes it's much easier to speak something to someone else than to remain silent. Now, in this passage uh, for the people of Israel, shouting would come. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that in verse number 10, but he said, uh, there will come a time when you will shout and you will be able to celebrate. But right now, no sound. Silence. Please hear me. Those that learn to walk in spiritual maturity are those that learn to thrive in the silence and in the sound. When you are in a season of celebration and when you are in a season of shouting and when God is giving you victory, hey, you can thrive in that moment. But also, you can thrive in the silence when you're not sure what God is up to and when you're not sure what the next steps are. Those that are spiritually mature learn to thrive in the sound and in the silence. Even when I don't see how God is working, I'm going to quiet my soul before him. Now, notice verse number 11. It says this. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns, before the ark of the Lord, went on continually. And they blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the re-reward came after the ark, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And so, again, they followed through in obedience. They did God's will, God's way. Now, this leads us to the fourth characteristic today. And I, I want to to uh, encourage you to hang with me. I believe that this is very encouraging. Uh, could anybody use some encouragement this morning? Anybody like that? Uh, I, I want to encourage you. Hang with me. Here's the fourth characteristic of someone that walks in victory. Number four, they stay strong on six. They stay strong on six. Now, here's what you need to know. It's interesting that God told Joshua, you are going to walk around the city one time for six days, and on the seventh day, you're going to walk around seven times. All right? That was the plan God gave Joshua. But if you go back and read the verses that we just read, when Joshua told the plan to the people, he told them what they were going to do, but he didn't tell them how long they were going to do it. He said, we're going to walk around the city. And when I tell you, when the day comes, when the day arrives, I will tell you when you're going to shout. But he didn't tell them how long they were going to do it. Notice verse 14. And the second day, they compassed the city once and returned into the camp. So they did six Days. So every day they're walking around and they're not sure how many times they're going to have to do this. The second day they come back home, they go into their tent and uh, maybe a soldier walks into his tent. His wife says, how was your day today? And he says, oh, it was good. And uh, she says, did you fight a good battle? He says, well, you know, we did some walking. And uh, he comes back in the next day. Same thing. Same thing. You know, if I'm doing something difficult in my life, it's easier for me to carry out that task if I know how long I have to do it. Anybody like me in that regard? If I'm running on the treadmill, it's much easier for me to run on the treadmill when I know, okay, I only have 30 seconds left. Come on, I just got to push myself for 30 seconds. If I'm lifting weights, okay, how many reps do I have left? I don't want to just keep it open-ended. I want to know how long I'm going to have to struggle. If I go to the DMV and... If I'm waiting at the DMV and I see on the little screen that it says, now serving B2, and my little ticket says B72... I know I'm going to be there a while, but at least I know what my number is. At least I have an indication of how long I'm going to have to wait. Uh, What do we do in life when we are struggling and we are hurting and we don't know how long we have left? What do we do when we feel like we're walking in circles and nothing really is being accomplished? What do we do when we don't know how much time that we have left? 
And it seems like the, 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 the process is open-ended. You know what's interesting about this as they walked around the walls each day? There was no progress that was being uh, taken place. Uh, there was no like incremental progress. Like, Wouldn't that have been really nice if they walked around the city one time and one-seventh of the city wall just kind of collapsed? That'd be great, like Angry Birds, you know, like one, one part of the wall just collapsed, and then the next day, the second part of the wall. That would be exciting, because after each day, you could say, look, we had some progress today. Look, we, we accomplished a little bit. Uh, tomorrow, let's go after this section as we walk around. But as they walked around the wall, no progress was visible. Sometimes spiritual progress in your life is not visible. Sometimes you have to walk in obedience, even when you can't see what's being accomplished even when you don't see uh, what fruit might be on the horizon. And it says in verse number 14 this. It says, they returned to camp, and so they did six days. Little did they know after that sixth day what would happen on the next day. I bet they would have been tired. I bet they would have been uh, at some point confused. Like, when is God going to be? When are the walls going to fall flat? Joshua told us, you know, that, that something good was going to happen. And on the sixth day, what if they would have just quit? What if they would have said, I'm tired of walking around these walls for six days. Nothing is happening. I'm tired of not being able to talk. I'm tired of this silence. And what if they just stopped short of what God had for them? See, so often in life, we get discouraged in well-doing, and we are tempted to stop short of what God has for us because we don't know when that seventh day is. Uh, we don't know. Uh, we don't know when that breakthrough is coming. And so here is the idea that we have to stay faithful even when we're on six. Even when we don't know the lap that we're currently on, we have to keep on moving forward. Can I encourage you to stay strong even on six because you never know what God is going to do in the future. So don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your ministry. Don't give up on your children. Don't give up on your relationships. You never know when that seventh day is the next day. And so we ought to keep on moving forward and keep on walking for the glory of God because we're not sure when that breakthrough moment is coming. And notice what he says in verse 15. Everybody still with me? Yes. Verse 15, and it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and they compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. So this was the moment that they've all been waiting for. They come to that seventh day. Now they're like, oh, we're doing something different today. We're walking around seven times today. And it came to pass... At the seventh time, when the priests blew the trumpets, those ram's horns, Joshua said unto the people, shout, for the Lord hath given you the victory. So we're going to illustrate this today. I brought my ram's horn from Israel, okay? And I'm going to blow the ram's horn, and you're going to shout with the people, okay? Everybody ready for it? All right, that went better than I thought. I was a little nervous, okay? It's been a while since I've blown the ram's horn. They blew the ram's horn, and then the people shouted. Let me hear a shout. Yeah. It's interesting that they had to shout before the walls fell down. That would have been pretty awkward. They shouted, and nothing happened. Whoops. It would have been easy to shout after the walls fell down. That would have been easy. The walls fell down. Woo! Yes, look at that. We got the victory. But God told them to shout before the walls fell down. You know, walking by faith means that sometimes you have to shout before the walls fall down. That sometimes you have to praise God before your problems collapse. That sometimes you have to praise God and thank God in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your trial, before you get the desired outcome that you want. You know, there's three types of praise and thanksgiving. There is after the fact praise and thanksgiving. That's when God blesses you. He gives you something and you say, wow, God, thank you. I'm going to praise you, God. You've been good to me. That's baseline, okay? That's elementary. 
Then there's in the midst thanksgiving and praise. That's God is currently blessing you. Man, God's being good to me, and I'm paying my bills on time, and my marriage seems pretty good, and my kids are happy. They didn't yell at me today. And okay, God, thank you for the blessings in my life. But real spiritual maturity comes when you are operating in this zone of anticipation of the fact, thanksgiving, before God provides the desired outcome, that you can praise him and thank him. It's before you get the test results back and you can say, God, I'm going to praise you anyways. It's before you get the raise at work and you're praying for that raise, but you're going to say, you know what? No matter what, God, if you give it to me or not, I'm going to praise you and thank you anyways. God, I'm going to praise you because even if I can't see it and even if I can't sense it, you are good and you are always good. And his goodness is not contingent upon my circumstances. His goodness is contingent upon who he is. And he is a good God. And so he says, we're going to blow the ram's horn. The people are going to shout. There we go. And then notice verse number 20. So the people shouted. When the priest blew the trumpets and it came to pass, when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up to the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. That God gave them the victory even when it didn't make sense, even when it seemed like an odd plan, that God gave them the victory. And I imagine that those people were so grateful that they didn't stop on the third lap, that they didn't stop on the fourth lap, that they didn't stop on the sixth lap. Some of you today perhaps are on that sixth lap and you don't even know it. And victory might be on the horizon, but you are tempted to quit. You are tempted to stop short of what God has for you. But I would encourage you today, let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Keep on moving forward. Keep on walking for the glory of God. The people shouted, the walls fell down. The Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Sometimes following Jesus feels like you're walking in circles, but he will always take you to the right destination. Keep your mind focused and stayed on him. Now, God had a purpose for all the madness. He had a reason for it. And we see it in verse number 27. The last verse of our text that we'll read today in verse 27 says this. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was noised throughout all the country. That his fame was noised throughout all the country. That everybody knew who was responsible for this victory that everybody knew the only person that could provide this victory was the one true God, Yahweh. It wasn't because the people's plans were so great. It wasn't because they had the biggest army and the sharpest swords and the sharpest spears. The only way that they could get victory was through the Lord. See, the reason that God had them do what they did this way is because God wants to operate in a way that success can only be attributed back to God. Did you catch that? God wants to operate in a way that success can only be attributed back to God. I believe that God wants to do such a work in your life that outside people looking in have to conclude, wow, God must be doing something in their life. 
because they're not strong enough to make it through what they're going through apart from God. Uh, Man, God must be doing a work in their heart. God must be doing a work in their family. I believe that I want God to do such an incredible work at Rock Hill Church, in our midst, in our church, that the world has to conclude something different is about them. God must be doing a work in their church. Uh, God must be involved in their church. If someone could look at our church and say, well... They just have a good kids program. Their worship is really hot and, you know, it's really great there. And, you know, they have a good structure. They have a good system or a good strategy. Then we are missing the mark because we ought to operate in such a way that success can only be attributed back to God. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Does anybody believe today that he deserves all the glory, all the honor? We are here to make his name famous and not our own. His name was Noise throughout all the country, everybody knew who was responsible. Everybody knew who got the glory. Yahweh, the one true God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Faith, after they were compassed about seven days. See, their salvation, their deliverance came by faith. Today, the only way that we can be saved, the only way that we can experience salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible puts it this way in Galatians 2.16. This is the last verse that I'll read. And as I read it, would you join me in standing this morning? Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified. The word justified means to be declared righteous, to have a right standing before a holy God. A man is not justified by the works of the law. It's not about rule keeping and religion keeping and adhering to the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. The Apostle Paul is making this so emphatically clear to the churches in Galatia that we are not saved by the works of the law. This is where so many people get caught up today in religion, thinking that, man, if God is going to love me, And if I'm going to have a home in heaven, I have to adhere to the works of the law. And I have to adhere to religion and baptism and catechism and classes and communion. And if I do enough and I, if I do all these right things, if I measure up, then I'll get to heaven. But Paul is making it so clear that the only way that we can be saved is by grace, undeserved favor when we don't deserve it, by grace, through faith. And just as the children of Israel were Rescue, just as they were delivered by faith. Today, we can be saved and we can have a home in heaven if we place our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is a promise that we can receive today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.